Well, you might remember last week that I said we'd be looking at angels and demons today. We'd be moving on in our What Is series. But if you've already looked inside your bulletin, then you've noticed that that's, that's not what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, interesting week. I came in Monday morning and started my week normal. had a normal schedule and, and got working on my sermon. Got it completely written. Got it manuscripted. Got the PowerPoint ready. Got everything done uh, that I needed to do right on time, usually about one. Wednesday for me, if it's, a, if it's a good week and I'm doing what I should be doing, uh, by about Wednesday I have that done. And I'd actually started to go through the sermon and God said, you know what, we're not going to do that this week. And I said, what, are you kidding? I've already written it. I'm not going to start another one. And uh, I don't think he cared. Um, no, I, folks, I really did. I felt like the Lord wanted me to set that down and, and wanted me to go in a little bit different direction. The good news is I'm well ahead for a sermon in July. I'm ready to go. But I felt like God just said to me, you know what, I want you to talk to the dads this week. It's Father's Day. I want you to take that opportunity to talk to the dads. <laughs> I wish you'd have told me this Monday, Lord. But, uh, you know, th- that name, Dad, just the name, the title, the role, you know, God's got a lot writing on that. As we've learned about in this What Is series, and we looked at the character of God and His attributes, God reveals Himself to us as a father. He wants us to know Him, to experience Him as a Father. Well, when you think about that, that we're going to call out to Him, Father, every human being on this planet has had a personal experience, has a personal opinion about that position, about that title, about that word Father, before they ever call out to their Heavenly One. So God has a lot riding just on that name, Father. You know, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for me as a dad as it kind of culminates here on Father's Day. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, our, our oldest daughter, our oldest child, Mary Beth, graduated from high school. And then this past Tuesday, she turned 18. 18! I mean, I just turned 18! I mean, honestly, that's what I feel like inside. I'm not, I'm not supposed to have a child turning 18, and now she's going off and is going to become a hokey. I don't even know what a hokey is. You know, of course, you know, Karen and I both left our homes and we became Aggies and nobody knows what that is. But, you know, she's going and we're, we're proud of her. We're excited about that opportunity. But, you know, my mom and dad have told me, and as a matter of fact, some of y'all knowing what's going on in our lives, you've mentioned the same thing. You've said, you know, once they, once they leave, everything changes. You know, and, and, and you realize there's a chapter, there's a very significant part of what we call parenting that's about to come to an end. Now that doesn't mean we're, we're done being parents for her uh, or that she's done responding to us as parents. You know, I mean, I still respond to my parents as parents. I, I still call them mom and dad. I still talk to them a bit. And, and you know what? Honestly, I still look to and appreciate my mom and dad's input, their, their wisdom and advice. I still like their approval. I, I still like it when they encourage and, and they're excited about what's going on in my life. I, I don't know if I'm still, you know, I don't quite say as much, look at me, look at me, but it's still important to me. You know, so yeah, there's still a mom and dad. She's still a daughter. But, you know, I look back and I remember in my life, as close as I am with my mom and dad and the relationship I have, sure enough, when I, when I turned 18, when I left and went to college, that marked right there, that marked a radical change and how I would relate with my mom and dad from there on out. And now I say, man, that's happening to me. 
That's happening in my life now. My child is, is doing that. And you know, when you go through an intersection like this, man, you can't kind of help but stop and ask, how did I do? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Is she going to be okay? Can she overcome the mistakes that were made? Are my mistakes recoverable? Was I a good dad? And not only do we have that happening on one end, but on the other end, our baby, our, our, our little caboose, Randy, baby Randy, uh, he graduated from elementary school. Now, you know, when I was that age, we didn't graduate from elementary school. They just said, you're done, go to junior high. You know, but now they're in a little graduation for everything. But... Uh, you know, that marks a chapter though too. As we've got one leaving the home at the very same time, we're closing the door on, on those, all of those elementary years. Now I realize Randy entering sixth grade does not necessarily mean he's now on the fast track to adulthood. But you know, there's another thing my mom and dad told me recently. And some of y'all who know where we are in life have said the exact same thing. You've said, you know, once that first one leaves... It seems like you blink and the rest are gone. And so I see Randy entering sixth grade and I'm thinking, okay, in six years, he's going to be in this spot. And I just look back over the last six years of my life and I realize what a blur that has been. How fast that has happened. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, hey, this, this might go pretty fast. It's a little bit overwhelming. And when you have four kids, you've got a lot of years where you feel buried by babies in diapers. I mean, you really do. And so that's why I'm saying it's kind of an overwhelming thought when all of a sudden I'm sitting here thinking, man, I'm, I'm actually entering the final quarter of this thing. And there again, when you have that thought, that kind of makes you kind of, wait, wait, wait a minute. Am, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing what counts? Am I being the dad that God wants? And then why don't we just go ahead and lop Father's Day in on top of that, just to kind of bring it all home. Because Father's Day should, yeah, it's a day about honoring dads. But if you are a dad, eh, you know, it's, I, for me, it's always been a time of evaluation. Man, I'm being honored for this position. Well, am I, am I doing anything honorable in this position? You know, am I being the dad? Are you being the dad God wants you to be? And as we evaluate that, obviously, there's one place we need to go, and that's, that's God's Word. And there's a, a wide variety of passages that speaks to parenting, that speaks to being a dad. I love the simplicity and the straightforwardness of Ephesians 6.4. Would you turn there with me this morning? Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs around you. If you can't reach it, I know somebody will hand it to you. Ephesians chapter 6. Kind of head to the middle of the, of the New Testament. You got uh, Galatians and Corinthians and, and Romans right before it. Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians after it. If you're in that neighborhood, you're, you're zeroing in. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at one verse here. But when I'm done, leave your Bible open because we're going to refer to a couple of things in it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. It says there, And fathers, don't... Stir up anger. Your translation may say, don't exasperate. Don't, don't stir them up, but instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, you'll notice right away there that it says fathers, okay? Now, this is not the point of the sermon where you moms, you know, do this in their side and say, you need to listen to this. 
Okay, that, that's not what Paul's doing right here. As a matter of fact, in a very real sense of the word fathers, Paul is actually addressing both mom and dad. He's using this word fathers kind of as the governmental head. The, the leader of the home and, and the mom, the wife, is the helpmate. She's the co-laborer in bringing about what's supposed to happen inside this home. This is the kind of passage where we refer to the, to the husband, to the dad, as the leader of the home. Now guys, we do some wrong things with that word leader. We tell, I'm the leader of the home. That means I'm always right. Uh, folks, I'm pretty sure that's not what God meant when He said that. I'm the leader of the home. Somebody go get me a sandwich. Now, now, actually, i tell you something. It's, it's a role I don't relish. Being the leader of the home means I go into the throne room of God first. And I stand there on behalf of the entire family for whether what happened in this home ha- should have happened, happened or not. Whether this home was what God designed it and wanted it to be. Being leader, guys, means you're the initiator. You initiate moving toward what God designed. And we move first before God to be evaluated whether we did that or not. So, yes, he's talking to you directly, but moms, don't excuse yourself from this. He's talking to everybody here. And he says, now here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to stir them up to anger. I don't want you to exasperate the kids. But instead, rather than doing that, I want you to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now I want to look at that second responsibility first, and then we'll come back and and, and pick up that first responsibility. He says, don't stir them up, but bring them up. Don't stir them up, but bring them up. You know what? We don't plan to fail, do we? We don't plan to fail. What we do is we fail to plan. I don't know about y'all, but I think if you look around at yourself and at people around you, we have plans for everything, except sometimes what are the most significant things in life. We've got a plan for what we're going to do this summer. We've got a plan for vacation. We've got a plan to get better in our hobby. We've got, we got all kinds of plans. We don't have much of a plan always for the big things like walking with God. A plan for like marriage. A plan for like parenting. These big things that are really supposed to be what our lives are about. We just kind of wander and exist. We just, we just kind of wander into them and, and do it. You know, I, I, we know what we want. We, we want to be happily married. We want that to be a satisfying and a deep and an intimate relationship for decades and decades. I've got, got no plan for how I'm going to get to that, but that's what I want. We, we know what we want with kids. I, I want them to be successful. I want them to be happy. I want good kids. I want godly kids. I want them to be strong and body, mind, and spirit. No plan at all for how I'm going to get that. But that, that's what we want. Well, folks, Paul's idea here is not that we just wander and we have hopes. It's that we have a plan. He says, bring them up. That word has with it the idea, a sense of purpose, a sense of direction. It, this is a task. It's a job. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm doing. And there's a sense to be an order and a purpose about it. As a matter of fact, we can understand this word, bring them up, a little bit better. You see that phrase in 6.4. Now watch this. Look at chapter 5, verse 29. Different verse, but I want to show you something. Chapter 5, verse 29. It says, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. Your translation may say, nourishes and cherishes. 
You see that phrase that has two words, nourishes, cherishes, provides, cares? That's actually one word, and it is the same word that is translated in 6.4, bring them up. Bring them up. It has with it the idea of a sense of direction in that I am providing and caring. I am bringing them up. I'm focused on their well-being. And that word has with it both the idea of the spiritual and the physical. I am providing. I am nourishing. I am caring for their physical growth and well-being, for their spiritual growth and well-being. Now, moms and dads, we, we tend to focus a little bit easier on the physical, don't we? We, we think about, you know, I, I, I provide for my children. They have clothes, they have food, they've got a shelter over their head. Maybe we take it a step further and we think, well, I'm, I'm providing education, I'm providing experiences in life, I get them involved in this activity and that activity. And, and, and a lot of us here probably feel like, you know, I, I'm providing for their physical well-being. I, I, I'm raising them up. We, we feel pretty confident, pretty, pretty confident that we're doing that, that that's taking place. But let me ask you a question. How are you doing at providing spiritually for their well-being, for their growth, and for their development? Dads, this is not a game in which batting 500 will put you on the all-star team. It's not one or the other. Both is absolutely necessary. Do they see dad pray? I'm not talking about just over the food. Do they see dad on his knees? Do they see dad seeking God, trusting God? Do they see dad go to God's word for answers and directions and then get up from those answers and directions and seek to live it? Do they see that dad loves Jesus? Not just that dad goes to church, not just that dad can recite religious platitudes, that dad loves Jesus. Because see, it's inside this relationship that the dad has with God that the bringing up takes place. And Paul elaborates on that, that bringing up with two words there, training and instruction. Bring them up, how? By training and instructing them in the Lord. You know, the best way to understand these two words together is a favorite parenting activity right here, teaching your kids to drive. Teaching your kids. These two words both play a role in teaching your kids to drive. First of all, you train and think of that training as just physically being able to handle the car. You teach them to sit in the seat and how to grab the wheel and how to push the gas and the brake, preferably not at the same time. And you're, you're, then you teach them how to, you know, to drive, usually in a parking lot, maybe on a back road where there's nothing around. And, and you're training them to just handle the car, to handle the activity of driving. But then you've got to go a step further. You've got to start to instruct them. You instruct them about the rules and the laws of driving because there are a lot of more, I mean, other drivers on the road. A lot of other drivers on the road. And so there's all these laws that help us all get along out there on the road, right? And you teach them about lines. You know, we're a society that just says, no lines. I, give me absolute freedom, absolute rights to do whatever I want. Lines are so good. You know, if you ignore those lines, you end up in a guardrail, you end up in a ditch. Or even worse, you go over the other line, you're in a head-on collision. Lines are good. Lines are good. So we train them to handle the car. Then we instruct them on how to use this car in the world. Now, folks, just take that thought and apply it not to a car, but to a, a human body. I, I've got to train this child 
how to handle this human body in the world. Just how to physically deal with it and handle it and, and grow and develop. And while they're doing that, while they're handling themselves in this world, I've got to instruct them because God's given a lot of laws, a lot of rules, and they're good. They're good rules. They're not restrictive to your person, to your freedom, to your happiness. No, they enable you to enjoy this body on the lanes of life with the greatest satisfaction. And, and so I'm teaching them how to handle life, instructing them in God's good and life-giving ways. There's a beautiful illustration of this in Scripture. It's the entire book of Proverbs. The entire book of Proverbs is exactly what Ephesians 6, 4 is talking about. Proverbs is a book about wisdom. And, and you could define wisdom as living skillfully. As a matter of fact, you could, you could define wisdom as driving between the lines. Wisdom is how to drive, how to operate inside the lines. It's learning how to live skillfully in the Lord. Now, what Proverbs communicates all these rules through is the parenting relationship. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. 23 times it says, listen, my son. And if you want to see how Proverbs is being communicated, you almost have to imagine a, a, a dad with his child walking into town, or we'll, we'll say driving into town. I don't think they did a lot of driving back then, but we're, we're walking, we're driving into town. And, and as we go, the dad just starts pointing things out. Hey, look over there at this couple. Look over there at that group of people. Look over there at the bank. Look over there at what's happening. And he just uses living illustrations. He uses life to talk about loyalty and commitment and honesty and purity. He says, stay away from, from drunks and troublemakers. And he says, and God's always watching. Everything that we're looking at here, God sees every bit of it. And he just uses all of these things in life that they just observe by walking through a day to teach all these rules and laws. Folks, this is exactly what Ephesians 6.4 is talking about. It's the picture of a parent. We walk with God, and as we walk with God through life, we just use life to train and to instruct. We use life to, to point out what God says here. It's just walking through life with God teaching. That, that's what we do. Most, what an opportunity to take a human life, a human being, not a machine, a human being, and set it on the path of life and then teach that child to live skillfully in the Lord using, yeah, sure, words, lectures, but mostly using our own life. See, every lecture we give, every word that comes out should have already been backed up by an example, should have already been backed up by how they watch us living with God in this world. How they see us driving between the lines. Now Paul says that, that as you do this, as you train them and instruct them, don't, don't exasperate them. Don't, don't stir them up to anger. You know, it's, it's exasperating when we never tell them where we're going. Or we change where we're going all the time. We're inconsistent in how we go. You know what is, is exasperating to a kid? I, I see this in myself, and I learned it by watching other men. Men, this is a weakness we have with kids. Not just our kids, all kids. We, this is a male weakness. I've seen it over and over and over, and I saw it through coaching. I've coached a couple of different sports, been coaching for six, seven, eight years, and I have watched this, and we men, we bat about a thousand on this. 
We walk up to a, a six or a seven-year-old and we tell them, this is what you are to do. And the kid doesn't understand a word we just said. I mean, we tell them how to do some block, how to make some throw. They don't even understand the vocabulary we're using. They don't even know how to do what we just said. But we, we vomit out this, what they're supposed to do, this instruction on them. And then we step back. The next play runs. They don't do it because they didn't understand. And so then we go over and do what a good coach does. And we scream at them. And the kid has no idea what has just happened there. No idea what he was supposed to do. No idea what he did wrong. And no idea why he's in trouble. And guys, we do this over and over and over and over and over and over. Don't you imagine that's exasperating? Let me ask you something. If you went to work and you were treated that way as an adult, how would you handle that? You were told to go in and operate a piece of machinery. You don't know where the machinery is. You don't know how to operate. And if you do it wrong, the building is going to blow up. That's going to be frustrating, I'm guessing. You know, we, we don't let others treat us that way, but that's what we do with kids. You see, a, a dad, and of course mom's included in this, a dad should be an incredible student of his child. Knows the level that his child is at, knows what his child can understand, knows the abilities of that child, and whatever instruction is being given, it's being given at that level. It's being given at that ability. And remember, whatever instruction is being given, they should know how to do it because they've been watching you do it. They've seen how by your life. You know what else is exasperating? It's exasperating if a kid never knows where he wins. Do you ever want to know you've crossed the finish line? That you've won? That, that you achieved? That you succeeded? Everybody does. Dad, sometimes we're good at placing the goal, at placing the challenge, at, at encouraging and pushing, but the child never knows where they actually win. They never know where they get to celebrate the, the victory. We're always on to the next thing and pushing further. Everybody wants to win. It's exasperating to never know that you accomplished, to never know that you win. So Paul says, don't, don't stir them up, don't exasperate them, but bring them up. Have a plan of how they're going to walk with you through life. And by the word of God and by watching you with the word of God, they're going to be trained and instructed and know how to live. We... Uh, Back in January, we started a series here in our church called Live Like You Were Dying. That focus being go out there to the end, see what is important, know what is most important, and then come back here and live like it today. Well, you know what? I've never been to the place of death. There are some who have. They've been right to the place of death and been able to come back. Boy, it seems to be a life-changing experience. You, you start to recognize the value and the, the importance of life, the importance of a single day. Now, I've never, I've never been close to death, but you know what? As a pastor, I've been around it a lot. I've been around a lot of people who were dying. I've been a lot around a lot of families who were going through that. And so I feel like with a pretty good sense of authority, I can say this. Men, when you're about to die, whether it's a matter of months or weeks or days, when you're about to die, I can definitively tell you two things that are going to be absolutely unimportant to you. One is your job Two is your hobbies. Those will be utterly irrelevant when you're dying. That won't mean a thing. Now, let's do the math here for a moment. 168 hours in a week. When you look back over this past week, how many hours did you spend at work? 
How many hours did you spend in a hobby or something for yourself? Now, how does those hours compare to the hours where you purposefully meant to live with God before your kids? When you were with them, investing that time with them in a purposeful way. Boy, that comparison doesn't work very well, does it? Now, guys, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying with this. I'm not saying don't go to work anymore. That's not going to work either, is it? And I'm not even saying don't have a hobby. You know what? I went to work last week. I plan on going to work this week. I have a hobby. I like running. I ran four days this past week. I plan on running in this week. As a matter of fact, right now, I have a goal. I want to run the Richmond Marathon. And that's not really my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is to use the Richmond Marathon to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Now, I've run marathons before. They are time-consuming. It takes time to do that. Okay? But what I'm saying is, when I'm dying, it will not amount to a hill of beans whether I qualified for Boston or not. I'm not saying it's not important to others. I'm not saying... As, you know, I'm saying to me... When I'm laying, I've watched this too many times. When I'm laying there, it will not matter to me whether I qualified for Boston or not. What will be a mountain in my life at that moment is what has happened and what is happening in the lives of my kids. Now, you know what wisdom says? Wisdom says, then live like it. If that's what's going to count, if that's what's going to be all-consuming, then make decisions today in light of that. Yes, we're still going to go to work. Yes, we're still going to have hobbies. But somewhere, some time and some energy and some passion for those other things we do needs to show up in the way that we purposefully live for God and with God in front of our kids, training and instructing them in the Lord. To put them on that path where they live skillfully for God. So what do we do? Let me give you a couple ideas, I think. I don't think this is that hard well, I mean, say we say that what we do is simple to understand. It's a challenge to do. Number one, go home and walk with God. That's it. Go home and walk with God with your kids. Now, I'm not saying walking with God will answer every parenting question that you have. I, I, I try to walk with God pretty, pretty faithfully, pretty consistently. And yes, that has left me still with some parenting questions. As a matter of fact, I've tried to walk with God through some parenting issues, and I think if those issues come up again, I'm not sure I can do it any better the next time as I did the first time. So I'm not saying that just loving Jesus alone will answer all of your parenting questions. But yeah, I am. Because remember, ultimately what you're doing is you're training them to live life, yes, with your words, but mostly by your life. And I really do believe that about 90% of parenting is you walking with God through everyday living, everyday issues. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I haven't trained my kids if all they see is me be perfect. No, I've got to train them in how somebody walks with God through fear and failure and disappointment and anger, anger at others, anger at myself. I've got to show them how you walk with God through all of those different things. That's training them. And I really believe about 90% of parenting is just walking with God in your own life in front of your kids. Second, Love their mom. Love their mom. Children find an incredible amount of security inside the love that is shared between their mom and dad. And secondly, remember, they're being trained by watching us. 
They're watching mom and dad be married. We're training them how to live and act in a marriage. And folks, you look around the United States and we're not doing a real good job with that, are we? See, there's really a significant issue there in how my wife and I talk to each other and about each other and how we handle problems and how we handle each other because little eyes and little ears are always nearby. And we're training them at what a marriage looks like. So I need to go home and walk with God. I need to go home and love their mom. Now I realize, you know, if you give those two directives right there, if you're a divorced dad, it seems like I just hung you out to dry. I mean, I can't go home and walk with God in front of my kids. I don't, I don't have them but every other weekend. Well, I can't go home and love their mom because, well, that's, that's a whole other story. But you know what? No, those two directives are exactly the same for you. When you have them, it may be only every other weekend, but on those two days, you need to walk with God through everyday living and let them see it. Now, let, let me say something about that. You may only have them two days out of 14, but you've got to walk with God the other 12. It, it, walking with God is not a switch we turn off and on. And because your days are limited, you've got to really be on your game on those two days. So you've really got to walk with those God with those 12 days because you can't miss it on the two days that you have. So no, the directive doesn't change for you. Walk with God. You live that out in front of them. Well, what about the love the mom thing? Well, you know what? In front of those kids, you need to respect and honor their mom. Because in the lives of your kids, the path to blessing, kids have one road to blessing before God. And that is to respect and to honor their parents. And if they hear one parent running down the other parent, then when they return home, guess what they do? They're disrespectful. They're dishonoring. So the best thing I can do for my kids. And of course, this is true in a divorce situation. It's true in a home. The best thing I can do for my kids is love and respect and honor their mom in front of them because I want them to be blessed. And I want them to honor that position. So go home and walk with God. Go home and love their mom. Third, be humble. Be humble. You know, God says, I personally go after the proud and arrogant so I can tear them down. That's a rough verse, isn't it? So do I want to model something in front of my kids that they become proud and arrogant so I set them up to have a life that God personally goes after? Or do I want to set them up with a life that God says, and here's the life that I build and bless, the life of the humble. You know, your kids have, if, you, if your kids want to be prideful and arrogant and think my way or the highway, they got a million and one examples of that in life, don't they? What they need is an example of humility. That's what they need to see, an example of humility. Third thing, or fourth thing, last thing, don't ever quit on being the man that God called you to be as a dad. Don't quit. You know, I realize whenever we come to a, a, a Mother's Day, a Father's Day, a, a message for moms, a message for dads, I, I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times nothing makes me more insecure about myself than the way I'm doing at raising kids. And we come to messages like this and we tend not to leave thinking, man, I've done a pretty good job at all this. We tend to leave thinking, man, I am sure missing it. And, and you can hear a message like this. And if, and if you're a single man one day thinking about having kids or you're a father-to-be or a young father, man, this, this is kind of challenging. Man, I want to get on top of this. But there's probably a whole lot more guys in here that are kind of like myself. This chapter is about to close. 
Or, or, or maybe your kids are already grown and gone and you're looking back and it's, wow, man, I missed it. And it, and it just leaves such a heaviness, such a guilt. Is that what God's word is about? Is that, is that God? God brought you here today on Father's Day. You could come in here and leave just really feeling like garbage about yourself when you left. That's God's plan for you today. Absolutely not. That's why this book is called Good News. It may challenge us. It may say, hey, you're standing in the wrong spot. <laughs> hey, you're doing the wrong thing. But it also has the answer for you. It has the way out. And, and dads, the story's never over with God. The story's never over with God. You know, if you feel like you've missed it, I, I want to give you a verse. Favorite passage of mine, I think I've used this as an illustration before a couple of times. And that's the passage, Joel 2.25. In that passage, it says, God will restore the years the locust have eaten. Now, I know the meaning of that doesn't just fly off the page at you. The locust came because God sent them. Israel, the people of God, had ignored their instruction. The instruction to worship one God, the instruction on how to be a mom and a dad, the instruction on what to do with money, the instruction on what to do with marriage, the instruction on how to live life. They ignored it all. They went their own way. They did their own thing. God said, stop it. You need to come back. Stop it. You need to come back. Stop it. You need to come back. And they just kept right on trucking. So God said, finally, I'm sending you a wave of locusts. Now, if you're a farming society, that's equivalent to the stock market crashing. Okay, the, the economy is wiped out. And so now God comes to them in Joel chapter 2 and He says, let me tell you what I want to do for you. Because destroying you is not what I want to do for you. What I want to do for you is I want to give back to you what the locust ate. I want to give back to you what you lost in sin. I want to give back to you what you gave away in sin. Man, what an opportunity, folks. Now, this, this applies to all kinds of things in life, not just parenting. But let, let's hone it back in on dads for a moment. Dad, you say, man, I have lost it. I've missed it. God says, yeah, maybe you did. But I want to give back to you that opportunity. I want to give back to you what you lost there. Well, how do I do that? Well, Joel 2, 14 through 25 says you do it through humility and repentance. You acknowledge, man, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Not because of, uh, 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 of my parents, not because of my wife, not because of how bad my kid. No, I didn't do what God revealed, what God instructed that I was supposed to do. I sinned. I messed up. I get humble and I get repentant. And, and you use this and you go to your kids and you say, and your kid may be 13, your kid may be 43. And you say, you know what? I, I, I sinned in the way I handled my role as a father. I, I didn't do there what God instructed me to do. And I apologize. And, and I, can't, I can't fix. I can't fix all that. I, I can't put back what should have been there. But what I can do is try to be starting today what God has called me to be as a dad. Now, probably at least one dad in here right now is thinking, I, I don't even know that I'd get my, an audience with that child of mine. I don't know that they would even care to hear that. That might be the case. But remember, you're a dad. Remember what a dad does? He walks with God and he lives it in front of his children. And so that moment right there where you're pretty sure that child wouldn't even hear you or doesn't care or doesn't even like you anymore, that still is your opportunity to train. What are you training them in? You're training them in humility. My gosh, that's not easy to go and say that. But you're training them in what humility and repentance looks like. 
You also go and you're training them. And folks, this is a profound principle of life. It is never too late to do the right thing. I don't know how it'll turn out. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know how they'll respond. But I, my, I'm a dad and my job is to train and to show example. And so I am showing you the example. It is never too late to do the right thing. Don't ever quit on the opportunity to be a dad and to model a walk with God in front of them. And what an opportunity. Let me say it again. To set a human life. Do we think there's anything more precious on this planet? To set a human life on a path. And then to help that life skillfully live that path. By the word of God. And how that word of God flows through my life. What an awesome task. Man, I need Jesus. But what an awesome task. So let's go home and, and walk with God. Love our mate. Be humble. And don't ever quit. Don't quit seeking to be the dad God has called you and instructed you to be. You know, you expect to hear me say when you go to heaven, you're going to be evaluated on this. You are. But you know who else is going to evaluate you on this? You are. You are. You're going to evaluate yourself on this one day. Wisdom says, then live in light of it today. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, there's so many things in there where we see. Where we, where we see more of our failure. More of what we're not, more of where we've missed it. God, I thank you for Truth. Whatever needs to be fixed, whatever needs to be done in life, it needs to start with truth. And so I thank you for revealing the truth. And Lord, I thank you for your kindness, your patience, and your grace. You, you are the perfect dad. You give this instruction and you instruct perfectly and you're kind and patient as you work that into our lives. And when we mess it all up, well, like a good dad, you paid the price. Quite often, children don't, don't pay the price for their mistakes. The dad has to come and pay for it, and, and that's you. You paid the penalty. Your son went to the cross for my sin and my mistakes. So even when I missed your instruction, you paid everything necessary so that I would not have to be motivated by guilt and failure and what a mess I've made in things. But I'd rather I could be motivated by your love and by your forgiveness. Father, there's a lot of dads in here and we are all over the map at where we are in our stages of parenting. God, I pray every dad in here would know what to do next. Would you, would you just guide them, lead them this week? What, what's the best step they could take that would be to walk with you in front of them, to, to love or to respect their mom, to, to show humility and to show that they're still in the game of being a dad. God, would you guide them? Would you point out where it would be most effective? God, would you help us to be what you've called us to be as a mom, as a dad, as a person on this planet? You gave us such a wonderful thing in the home. 
I pray as a dad, I will guide my family to let them see how all of those roles are defined in Scripture and how we all together try to live by those roles. And when we don't, we love each other and forgive each other. And we try to start over tomorrow. Pray that would happen in a lot of homes throughout this congregation. Help us with that, Lord Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen.